0: Everyone who knows me knows that my dogs are never short on outfits. I buy leashes and collars like some people buy shoes and handbags. And my favorite collar is Iggy's custom-made Paco Collar. Paco collars are 100% handmade from scratch by an amazing staff of artists and the quality really is unparalleled. My dogs can't have collars that don't withstand wear and tear. They hike, they swim, they roll on dead stuff. These collars are guaranteed to last a lifetime and they're designed to be worn by active dogs like mine. Iggy's collar is perfect for her. It's got purple stones, stars, and a beautiful design. There are literally thousands of design options to choose from, but don't worry, the staff at Paco loves helping customers pick out the best collar for their pets. That's exactly what they did when I went to their booth with Iggy. And they make stuff for humans too, so get over to pacocollars.com and buy the best collar you've ever had, and don't forget to enter promo code COGDOG for free shipping you guys i'm so excited for the first time ever the dog people of the internet are going to be gathering together in person worked up camp it's a three-day camp september 29th through october 1st in port orchard washington it's for you the dog people of the internet who have participated in in in-person worked up seminars and online worked up classes we're gonna to gather to progress those skills that you learned in the seminars or in the classes. We're gonna do arousal layering games. We're gonna take those to the next level. We're gonna focus on those clean training practices that you have learned are so important. We're going to get you in and out of the ring. So how do you actually apply these worked up skills to a competition like setting? And what do you do in competition when things go wrong and you can't do a cookie scatter? It's going to be all of that and so much more. And the best part is going to be this amazing community of people who I have seen come together online to support each other as you work with your worked up dogs and support and love your worked up dogs. I can't wait and I hope you're excited too. So join the Facebook event page, just search for Worked Up Camp on Facebook to find the event and then click interested or going and then you'll get all of the updates about it as we continue to produce those updates. And of course, at any time, if you've got questions about anything, shoot me an email, cognitivecanine at gmail.com. All right, today we're going to be talking about recalls. Um, I have mentioned recalls multiple times because I talk about decompression walks all the time, which of course are best done off leash, and so the topic of recall training comes up um, pretty often. And and of course, recall training is where we train our dogs to do uh, just that. We train them to run back to us on cue. So when we call to them, they come running back to us. under any circumstance. And this training is really important for our dog's safety. It's also important for our convenience. It's not actually fun to have a dog that doesn't come when you call them. Um, Having said that, I do think that because recalls are so reinforcing to humans, uh, humans tend to abuse them. So as soon as they know that they've got the power to make the dog return to them, they, I think, tend to abuse that power. So Let's talk a little bit about how I like to train them and then a couple of my rules for recalls. Um, I like to actually go ahead and just start from a classical conditioning standpoint, meaning I'm just trying to make an association for the dog. So I will call out their recall cue and then I'll give them something really fantastic. Um, And I do mean really fantastic. It's got to be something that they want. Um, And here whatever recall cue you want to use is fine with me. I am not one of these people that thinks you can't use your dog's name or a specific other words. I don't really care. I actually use my dog's names said with a very specific inflection. And, um, I am also not averse to saying their names multiple times, um, or cueing multiple times. And, The reason that that can be really helpful is so that the animal can, you know, continue to hear the cue as they continue to run towards you. Um, And so then, you know, if they lose sight of you or if they get interested in something else, they're still hearing the cues. They're still running towards you. So I like to just start with uh, making an association for the dog. So I say your name in this really specific tone, and then I produce really good things for dogs. Very quickly, this starts to produce the behavior of quickly turning towards the person and running towards the person. So through classical conditioning, we've produced an operant behavior, which is run towards the person. And then once that is pretty consistent, um, I start to treat it more like an operant behavior. So I don't actually um, reinforce non-contingently anymore. So, that means that, you know, before I would say the word and I would make sure the animal got the reinforcer, period. So, I'd say, you know, Felix in that really specific tone and then no matter what he chose to do after I said it, I'd throw salmon at him or I would, you know, throw the cheese or I would, you know, produce the ball or whatever it was. It didn't matter what he did. And then once I see that operant behavior starting to be really consistent, then I'm going to only reinforce if I do actually see See that behavior, and then I'm going to just layer in these what I call choice points. So I'm just going to give the dog um, an opportunity to get a big fat reinforcer for choosing to give me that operant response in gradually difficult scenarios. So it might start out with just the dog happens to be, you know, maybe on the couch in one end of the room, and I call him. It might be that he's in the other end of the house and I call him. Then it might be that, you know, somebody just pulled in the driveway and I call him to the other end of the house. Or then it might be that brothers and sisters are running out the front door and I call him. Um, or the back door. <laughs> Hopefully the back door and I call him. And so I'm just adding in these little choice points. And what's important to me is that if he chooses quote-unquote wrong or he chooses not to recall then I'm going to be able to control whether or not he gains access to a reinforcer. So these choice points are set up for, you know, deliberately by me to be sure that he won't actually gain access to the re- to the other reinforcer, which is chasing the other dogs or seeing who just pulled in the driveway, or, you know, maybe even staying on that comfy bed, um, if he chooses not to comply, and that he will get a big payoff if he does choose to. The key here is to make sure that's an easy, easy choice in the beginning. A uh, very easy choice. And then a gradually tougher choice as you go on. And I always think about, you know, delivering uh, one unit of reinforcement per each unit of effort. Understand that super hard recalls should get super big payoffs. Also understand that Every single recall you ever ask for should get some level of payoff because every single recall was a trade-off for that dog. Every single time they choose to come to you, they're choosing against doing whatever it was that they were doing in the first place. So they are giving something up every time you call them, um, whether you realize that or not, or whether you acknowledge it or not. And so... Because of that, we really want to be thinking about um, just just what freedom might be worth to our dogs. And for some dogs, freedom is worth a lot more. This is again where this is kind of this cyclical problem. Where if you don't ever let your dog off leash, they're not going to be easy dogs to recall because they're not used to freedom. But you can't let them off leash if they don't recall. Which is why we want to start early on just producing high-value reinforcers for these recalls and also producing lots of opportunities for freedom so that freedom's not this, not such a novelty to them. Um think about the fact that they're always giving up their freedom when they come to you, even if you don't put that leash on. For a second, they're giving up what they had originally chosen to be doing. And that's important for you to always be thinking about. So they're giving away something, so you better go ahead and give them back something that's worth that and then some. And Know that also, nine times out of ten, it should just be a big fat payoff and then return to freedom. It should almost never be actual um, removal of freedom. When my dogs actually put their leashes on at the end of the walk, um, I'm to a point now where I actually don't even call them. Um, In this formal way, I don't even say their recall cue anymore to put their leashes on. They just kind of have a routine Then when we're done, we're done. And I say, come on over here, guys. And they come on over and I put their leashes on and they all get a cookie and then we go home. And because freedom's not a novelty to them, they're okay with this. They wouldn't be if freedom were a novelty to them. So, when the other thing is I don't call them on the walk often. So when you call them often, you continue to tip those scales um in a way that's not to your favor because again, you are removing their freedom every single time you do. So, I wouldn't call them often. I would call them once in a while, give them a huge payoff, and then return them to freedom, and that's mostly what the walk should look like. It's irritating to be interrupted constantly from something that they're doing. So if they're out there being a dog, nose to the ground, sniffing around, and you're constantly interrupting them, think about the fact that your recall could then become a punisher um, to them. They don't want to hear it. So, Another thing that people talk about is this concept of emergency versus everyday recall, and I don't personally make a distinction. What I do make a distinction in is that um, what people call an emergency recall, which is is really what I'm talking about, which is this big fat payoff every single time. Um, you never go to a variable schedule of reinforcement. Um, you Stick with a one-to-one ratio. It's always a huge payoff, and you never use. You don't use it very often. That's kind of what I learned. An emergency recall is. That's the only kind of recall that I really train, other than a formal front in obedience, which I don't think of as a recall at all. Um, the casual come on over here is something that I do all day, but more often I ask dogs to go to a spot than come with me in dog, in daily dog management. So I'll ask them to go to a crate or a bed versus just follow me from, uh, A to B. That's, you know, in my general daily management of dogs, it's more about stationing than recalls. And I think that that's important too, because I want to keep that running to me behavior, really, really nice and strong and highly reinforced. So I really only actively train in emergency recall. Um, and then with puppies, I just generally reinforce them for wanting to be near me. And then the daily casual stuff is not really a problem for me. Um, And then we got to talk about, you know, can you have 100% recall? And I'm going to say no, nothing in life is ever 100%. I don't care if you're using an e-collar or I don't care if you're using positive reinforcement. You can get close, but nothing's 100%. These are living, breathing creatures. And in fact, even if they were robots, I would say still not 100% because you could still have a malfunction in a robot. So um, I don't think anything's 100%. I don't kid myself that it's 100%. What I do is I just stack the deck in my favor. I I put a lot of money in that reinforcement bank. And this comes to, you know, the biggest criticism of a positive reinforcement trained recall is that, you know, a hot dog is never going to be better than a deer to my dog. A hot dog is never going to be better than a squirrel. And the answer is I get that. I completely know that and I completely agree that a food reinforcer is not going to be better than a prey item that's you know rapidly retreating. That's um, unreal. But you know what's not unreal is a strong history of reinforcement. So it is actually the history of reinforcement. It's every single huge reinforcement you've given for the recall, fighting against that running deer or that running squirrel when you call the dog. That's actually what's going on. It's a strong history of reinforcement there. And that's why I've been able to, I've actually surprised myself with what I've been able to call my dogs out of. um, Because there are very few choice points that I can set up that actually do involve other animals that I have a lot of control over. I will when I can. So like, let's say there's a fence um, situation and their horses on the other side. I'll go ahead and make that a choice point for my dogs. Um, or maybe, you know, playing with another dog. I'll have them playing with another dog that's highly trained and that's a nice choice point. That's something I like to do for my puppies. You know, they're playing with my adults. Uh, you know, when Felix was playing with Edgy as a young puppy, I would call him. If he chose not to come to me, I would just down Edgy just ask her to lie down for a second. So she would just take that play away from him. Then he'd make a smarter choice. I'd give him a big payoff, send him back to play. And doing that enough, honestly, doing it twice. And then he said, oh, when mom calls, she's got something really good for me. I'm just going to stop playing for a second. But then I get to go right back to play. So those kind of ways that I can involve other animals, I do. But we, you know, I can't really control deer or squirrels. Um, Don't kid myself that I I think a lot of trainers kid themselves that they think they can control their dog's access to those kinds of things. If the dog is on a long line, they know that there's less choice involved. Um, and to me, it doesn't, it does not carry, has this, have the same kind of carryover as a true choice. So, when I I surprise myself when I'm able to call my dogs off of wildlife like that, but I generally can. Um and the reason again that I can is a strong history of reinforcement. It doesn't have anything to do with my food in my pocket being better than a deer, because my food is never gonna be better than that. Um I mean it probably is to Iggy because she's pretty into food and not super into chasing wild animals. Um but it's, a, it's about a history of reinforcement. When I used to teach uh, these group recall classes, when I used to teach pet dog training classes, um, I got to tell you, my most successful students were my students who had, quote unquote, untrainable recall breeds because there's these, you know, there's these kind of wives tales about what breeds you can never have off leash and you know sight hounds come to the top of the list and one of my most successful students in my recall classes the first dog she took through my classes was a dachshund and he learned a stellar killer amazing recall one of the best recalls i've seen um and he was very A very strong hunting uh, type. I mean, he came from a long line of field champions, and it wasn't that he wasn't houndy. He wanted to get prey, and he had a great recall. And then she brought a a whippet through my program, and her whippet did wonderful as well. Um, Her whippet's got a great recall, and I had another student with a Rhodesian Ridgeback, and you know they always did better than the people in the class that had the goldens and the border collies. And the reason that they did was because the goldens and the border collies had a more kind of natural inclination to just come when they were called it was more it was easier to just kind of say hey get over here and they would go oh okay um and so those people were less motivated to train uh which is where if you do have a dog that's got kind of a natural recall or a natural inclination to stay near you I would say work that you know work as hard as those other people and you're gonna have a recall that blows everybody's mind um so it was always my students with non-traditional breeds who worked their butts off in these recall classes, and they always did the best. They always had the best results. And I continue to tell that story. I continue to tell everybody that it's about how hard you train. Um, it's about history history of reinforcement. And if you decide still that your dog is not safe being off leash, then don't let them off leash and that's perfectly fine but still work very very hard on that recall because it's a safety issue you never know when you're going to need it so continue to work it I know plenty of people who just don't train it because they're never they think they're never going to need it you're gonna need it at some point um, it's a it's an important thing for all of them to have if they live in our care. So commit yourselves to recalls. And hop over on my Facebook page, the CogDog Radio Facebook page, and have a talk about recalls. Thanks for listening to CogDog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the CogDog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.